his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up. Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs. Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. A lot of things going on in the markets right now, including geopolitical concerns. Today, we're going to take a look at both the economic fundamentals and stock market technicals. Plus, our guest has a stark warning about what the future holds for financial markets long term. I'm Andy Gersher, and this is GAINS. All right, let's bring on Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at macrotides.com in San Diego. Jim, always great to have you on the Gaines podcast. And I know you always have a little something special for the Gaines listeners do tell. Sure. I will send uh, the October macro tides, uh, which really went into great depth regarding Fed policy and what's going on with, uh, with the economy. All they have to do is send an email to Jim Welsh Macro at Gmail, and I'll throw in a special report, Andy. Uh, it's called The Coming Secular Bear Market, and it goes through the various factors that I think are setting up for a repeat of like the 1966 to 1982 period where the stock market never, you know, it went sideways. It did not go up. And that's going to, if, if that develops, as I think it's likely, it's going to be very frustrating for the majority of investors who are pretty much buy and hold. And during that 16-year period, buy and hold investors were really frustrated because, you know, they didn't really see any gains accumulate over a period of time. So I'm happy to send both those reports, uh, Annie, Jim Welsh, macro at Gmail. And take Jim up on that, uh, certainly interesting and in that scenario if you know it's going on you can actually navigate and and certainly make money even in a a kind of a flat market now jim we bring you on to talk both economic fundamentals and stock market technicals you know as you look at the charts and we're going to hit on both of those today i wanted to start this week with a look at the technicals because there's several markets at key levels. Yes, stocks, but also the dollar, gold, and treasury yields. So that's where I want you to start. Uh, sure. What are the uh, you know market technicals? And uh, we were talking before, a, a bit of an inflection point. Explain. Well, the S&P got down to very close to its 200-day average, which was just above uh, 4,200. Uh, it dropped to 42.16 and then to 42.19. Uh, so that's a natural place for those who 
view the 200-day average as an area of support. In addition, the market, because of the decline that we saw after topping in late July or mid-July, you know, the S&P dropped from, I think, 4607 down to 4216. That's a pretty big decline. So the market was deeply oversold. So those combinations uh, typically get you at least a, a bounce of sub-magnitude. And then the employment report on Friday, I think, reinforced the view that we're not going to have a recession. As, as you know, and we talked last year, a lot of people thought there was going to be a recession. You know, as we talked, no, we don't think there's going to be a recession. First part of this year, the same thing. And therefore, once the economic data came in pretty good during the second quarter, we see a big shift in terms of people expecting the economy to avoid a recession. In the employment report, which came in with you know 336 new jobs, 1,000 new jobs, versus the expected 170,000, it was kind of like exactly the kind of medicine the market wanted. Oh, further evidence, we don't have to worry about a recession that means earnings are going to be going up next year and in 2025. So stocks aren't, you know, super overvalued. So you had a confluence of technical reasons and fundamental reasons for the S&P after initially selling off when the jobs report was announced because Treasury yields popped on that news. But that narrative, oh, this really means we're not going to have a recession. So that's why I think we saw the market rebound. And then yesterday or over the weekend, the news regarding Israel, uh, I think, has convinced folks that the Fed won't raise the funds rate again at the November 1st meeting, uh, which has been my view for weeks that they're not going to do that. But for a lot of other people, it's like, okay, the uncertainty created by uh, the uh, circumstances of Israel will kind of stay the Fed's hand. So in that sense, you got the perfect combination. Hey, the economy is going to be good and healthy. And the Fed's going to stand pat. And I think that's why we saw the market rally both Monday and today, because that's a you know pretty good combination. And then you have dollar, gold, and treasury yields kind of all playing into this. Explain their role here, Jim. Yeah, if you look, and I've discussed this you know for months, uh, last October I thought the dollar was topping, and that as the dollar declined, we would see treasury yields come down, we'd see the stock market rally, uh, and gold rally. Uh, then as we got to mid-July of this year, Andy, I thought the dollar was trading under 100. I thought it was set to rally from around 99.60 up to 104. Uh, and if it did that, we would see the stock market sell off. We would see Treasury yields tick higher. Uh, and, the, you know, the dollar would rally on that. And also the Japanese Central Bank on July 27th uh, raised the ceiling. They've been holding their 10-year Treasury yield through what's called yield curve control. Um, and they said, okay, we're going to increase that ceiling from 50 basis points, 0.5% up to 1%. And when that was announced, I said, you know, the yield, the trend in global yields is higher. And that, so all of that kind of came to pass. And, um, you know, the dollar got up to over 107. And finally, it started to show some signs of pulling back. However, to convince me that the the top is in, I think the dollar has to decline and close below 105.65 uh, because that was a, a low over the last week or so. Also was a high related to early March of this year around 105.88. Uh, 
So until we see that, Andy, I think there's still the potential, not necessarily that the dollar is going to rally to a new higher high above 107.34, but that it could rally to 106.40, 106.60. And at this point in time, any dollar strength would likely translate to weakness in terms of the stock market and higher treasury yields. So the dollar, I think, has been the key for much of the last two years. Uh, it's during times of strength. We've seen treasury yields go up, stock market go down. When it pulled back, we saw just the opposite. So that's why I've kind of been emphasizing that investors need to focus on the dollar, maybe more so than they have ever, because that seems to have been holding the key. And I think it will continue to do so in coming weeks. And then on the economic front, you had the jobs report putting fears of recession kind of off the table. The fear of recession is a lot less now than just not too long ago. Yeah, the searches for recession peaked late last year, early this year, and they're down to kind of where they were almost before the pandemic. And the searches for soft landing have zoomed. So, you know, that just gives you kind of anecdotal evidence of what is on people's minds. So uh, the the thing that people have to realize uh, is that the labor market is a lagging indicator always. In other words, it's the last piece of data to really start to show that the economy is softening. And in this cycle, maybe more so than any other time in the last 50, 60 years, because we all know the difficulty that employers went through to find qualified workers over the last two years. And having you know finally gotten people on board, they're going to be even more reluctant to let them go. So as good as that employment report was, I think it has to be put into perspective. And it, what we also need to really pay attention to is lending standards, because Powell back in March of 2022, just as the Fed started to raise the funds rate, said, hey, there's been three soft landings, 1965, 1984, 1995, and that's what we're aiming for. The point he left out was that lending standards in 65, 84, and 95 weren't raised significantly by the banks. Uh, Although the Fed had increased the funds rate a lot in those years, banks continued to lend. Well, the increase in lending standards over the last year, Andy, is the biggest in the last 40 years. So you've had a significant increase in the funds rate. You know, it's the, the sharpest and largest increase in 40 years. And banks are tightening credit. And the analogy I use is the Fed is like the spigot. And the banks are the nozzle at the end of the hose. So even though the Fed may not be uh, increasing the funds rate, you know, additionally, the banks have, you know, tightened the nozzle. So less and less liquidity is flowing to small businesses who almost exclusively, you know, rely on banks to provide them lines of credit and just credit in general. There's a lag time built in of a year or so, you know, from a year ago. Somebody got a loan, and now it's coming due. Oh, wait a second. I'm going to have to pay how many more points of interest on that loan? And, oh, by the way, we're going to lower your, uh, your line of credit from a million dollars to 750000 So that's what's coming. And um, I, I, we also know excess savings for a lot of people have pretty much burned through that. Uh, credit card rates up to 22%. Uh, the savings rate uh, has dropped from 6 to 8% before the pandemic down to about 3.6%. And we have student loans that are about to kick in. 
In this past week, we saw a report on credit. And what's taken place is you had one of the biggest declines in credit, consumer credit, uh, than we've seen in, in a few decades. Well, that, I think, is a response, Andy. As people are gearing up to pay back student loans, they have to cut back their spending in other areas. You know, I'm not going to be able to go out to a movie or go out to dinner or take a trip. And so all these things are coming together, and that's why my view has been, as we got into the third quarter, we'd see a little slowing, and GDP is going to come out in a week or so, and it's going to be a big number, like around 3%. But if you look at the trends in consumer spending, like the revision to the GDP GDP report a week or so ago, they cut consumer spending was like cut in half. So again, my take is I think we're going to see in the next six months, the economy shows material signs of slowing. And I think there'll be at least one quarter of negative growth. And I think, you know, you never know for certain, but I think that the probability of a recession as we get into the first half of next year is pretty high. And the reason why that's important, as I said earlier, the stock market has been able to shrug off a lot of things on the belief that we're going to avoid a recession. So the Achilles heel for the market over the next six months is if and when we really see data come in that suggests, oh, wait a second, maybe the economy really is going to slow down. Oh, my goodness, maybe we are going to actually have a recession. And that's what I think it's going to take to break the market and, and for the market to have another leg lower. My bet is that's what's going to happen. Now we're just trying to figure out the squiggles <laughs> in the next handful of weeks. Um, but that's my overall view regarding the economy. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gaines episode drops. We drop Gaines episodes on Wednesday mornings. We will be right back with Jim after the break. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Back with Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at MacroTides.com in San Diego. Um, you know, we had kind of teased this a little earlier, Jim. Uh, we were talking about a looking long-term at a potential scenario where the market could be flat for quite some time. So wanted to talk about that scenario and if it would come to fruition, how investors could position themselves. Let's start with, uh, kind of lay out uh, what's behind that scenario we had teased at the beginning of this podcast. Well, one of the factors is if you look at the uh, efficacy of fiscal and monetary policy over the last four or five decades, it's gotten weaker. So in, in the 1950s and 60s, every new dollar of fiscal debt added more than 90 cents to GDP. And over the last decade, that's down to about 40 cents. So the point being is the government spends more money and generates more debt we're getting less bang for each buck, and GDP is growing more slowly. Uh, so what that implies is if we go through an extended period of slowing in the economy, um, using fiscal policy uh, isn't going to be as effective as it was 40, 50 years ago. The other aspect is with interest rates moving up aggressively 
and the amount of debt having jumped from twenty uh, trillion to about thirty three trillion interest expense is going to consume about one trillion dollars of the budget. And what happens is uh, other programs and spending on programs either are cut back or the interest expense just continues to add to the annual uh, amount of deficit that we keep building. And I think we're finally seeing some awareness that, wait a second, the buck may be stopping here in the sense that we can't keep going on like this. Both President Trump, uh, who even prior to the pandemic, the deficit was 4% of GDP, uh, which is like unheard of during periods of economic growth. President Biden, um, you know, has amped that up even more so, so that the uh, growth rate in debt has accelerated. So to me, one of the concerning points I have regarding the coming election, irrespective of party affiliation, if anyone believes that debt is a problem and the expense that we're using to have to support and pay that debt, um, these aren't the two guys that are going to address that problem and solve it. And what we truly need is, you know, a politician who has the courage to be honest with the American people to explain why we're entering a period where we're going to have to deal with government spending and taxes, not one, not the other, both. And as we all know, the Democrats will never be in favor of cutting spending and the Republicans are always going to favor cutting taxes. We need to have politicians that stand up and say, folks, we need to kind of get our house in order, and it's going to require some cuts in spending and higher taxes. Now, do I think that's likely to happen? <laughs> Bit of a stretch, I got to say, Jim. Uh, uh, the, the the magic ball says uh, d- uh, <laughs> <No> highly <way>. <laughs> unlikely <laughs> we're going to find somebody who addresses that because there's really a lack of political motivation in a lot of ways on both sides of the aisle. Now, you were kind of talking about the result of this long term, and I just want to kind of hit into what's that look like and how do you navigate? Well, again, if anyone looks up a chart of uh, most easily available is like the Dow Jones Industrial Average, but you'd see the same picture if you looked at the S&P 500 from 1966 to 1982. And what the Dow did is it went from 1,000 to 630 in 1970, back up to 1,000, just over 1,073, then down to 574 in 1974, back up to 1,000 in, uh, I think, 77, 78, then back down to 700. So it just chopped around sideways. So the point, the lesson, I think, is that, all right, uh, investors need to develop some skill or allocate some portion of their portfolio to a tactical approach that attempts to do the bobbing and weaving that is necessary in that kind of environment. Now, the risk is that the secular bear market that I think has either begun or will within the next two years has the potential of being worse. Because in 1966 and 1970, uh, debt levels were down around 30% of GDP, not 122% of GDP. Um, the polarization in this country uh, is far more extreme. As extreme as it was at times during the 1970s, it's worse now. So I think, Andy, that a combination of things, lower economic growth, uh, you know, because of the lack of population growth and so forth, there's a lot of things coming together 
that I think we're going to have to deal with. Income inequality is another one. Um, and usually when you deal with big issues, it, it doesn't go smoothly. There's bumps in the road. And I think inflation is going to be potentially more problematic. The last 20 years, globalization helped bring down costs uh, as we outsourced production to lower cost places like China. Well, we're reversing that. Oil, mid 70s, when oil went from three bucks to $39, oil companies increased their investment budget by 500%. Net result is they found more oil. By 1985, oil was 10 bucks. Same thing happened between 2008 and 2014. Huge increase in investment and the net, because of the shale revolution. What happened is oil went from 115 to under 65, where it stayed for a number of years. What's happening this time is the lack of investment, A, because you know oil companies are listening to politicians that would love to run them out of business, and shareholders of the oil companies are saying, you know, I want you to pay me more in dividends. Save that money. And so the net result, I think, Andy, is three, four, five years from now, there's going to be less supply of energy, which means the average price and cost of energy is likely to be higher. And then lastly, you have labor, tight labor markets for seeing you know, wage growth accelerate. Um, and again, I'm not, there's repercussions. A lot of these contracts needed to be redone, but there's, you know, it's not going to be a free lunch in terms of it will push inflation and maybe keep it a little higher than it otherwise has been over the last 20 years. So to the extent that the Fed is serious about getting the funds rate or the inflation rate down towards 2%, these are the factors that are going to make it more challenging. Now, they may abandon it at some point in time, but I don't think they can abandon it until they get inflation much closer to 2% than it is today. So those are all the headwinds, Andy, that I think will result in a period of time where the stock market struggles. And historically, just remember this, in 1982, the average PE was under eight. We're more than double that. So, you know, just in terms of P.E. compression, you could see the stock market get cut in half. It happened back then, you know, so. Right, right. Like you can make with with the, with uh, those high P.E.s, you could make a case that from that viewpoint, the stock market is actually overvalued. Right now, in a big way. Yeah. I mean, the, the mega cap stocks, I think their P.E. is probably 25 to 30. The average stock is probably closer to 16, 17. But that's still more than double what it, the PEs were in 1982. Right. So that's the downside risk that I think most investors are pretty much oblivious to. And I just think it's important that uh, people start to think about this stuff. How, how far down the road? Back. How far down the road are, are, are you looking? I mean, what just kind of give us just a basic time frame where this all could play out and come to fruition. It's possible it's already begun. If you think about it, from 1981... Treasury yields peaked at 15%. They bottomed in 2020-21, and that the decline in long-term Treasury yields uh, was very supportive of a huge, big rally in stocks. I mean, again, the Dow was under 800 in 1982, and you know, 36,000, 35,000 now, or you know, a couple at the beginning of. Uh, uh, 2022. So if indeed treasury yields are going to be trending up over time, just like they trended down 
1981, and the time before that, Andy, from 1946, Treasury yields went from about one and a quarter, and by 1981, uh, were 15%. Now, do I think that's going to happen again? God help us. I don't think so. But So my point is there's these big swings that take place over a period of decades, and I think there's a reasonable chance that the big downtrend in Treasury yields ended over the last year, and that we're going to be in a period of interest rates remaining higher for longer and potentially trending up more than anything we've experienced in four decades. You know, And that would have downward pressure on equity valuations. So these are the things that I write about and I think about because I think we're at an inflection point in terms of how the markets may behave over the next 10 to 15 years. So, um, and there is a chance. Uh, technically, I can make a case that there could be one more rally in the S&P above 4,800. Um, but it doesn't alter, if you will, the longer-term outlook that we're either begun a secular bear market that will last 10 to 15 years, or we're on a cusp of one, if and even after you know another rally to a new all-time high. Uh, the thing I'll point out, with the gains that we've seen since last October, the average stock is basically flat. So people talk about the bull market from last October, and it only applies to a very small percentage of stocks, the S&P equal weight. In other words, every stock in that index has a 0.2% weighting, as opposed to Apple's 7% weighting. Those analysts that are, are bullish right now have addressed that and said, oh, hey, the rest of the market has to catch up to some of those high flyers. Because yeah. it was just a handful of really big, primarily tech companies that yep. really was running it. Yeah. And the challenge I see to that argument is if indeed the economy slows materially, and it's hard to, for me to believe it won't after a 40, you know, the fastest rate increase and largest rate increase in 40 years and bank lending standards having their steepest increase in 40 years. You really think that the economy is not going to be impacted by that? That seems delusional to me. So the, the problem for the market is, OK, if uh, the economy slows, that's going to undermine the argument of uh, earnings supporting it. And if the economy really doesn't slow guess what? The Fed is going to have to raise rates more and eventually get to the point where the economy indeed does slow. Powell said repeatedly over the last year, we need growth to get below trend. Trend is 2%. We haven't had a single quarter in the last year below 2%. They say they want the unemployment rate above 4.1. Anytime above the unemployment rates increase by more than 0.5%, there's been a recession. And the reason, Annie, and this is why I think Wall Street has been really wrong, everyone's focused on inflation coming down. Is that good news? Of course it is. Uh, however, from the Fed's point of view, is they're looking out the next three years or more, and they're thinking, okay, if we're going to cut rates at some point in time, and the economy is going to recover as a result of that, if the unemployment rate isn't high enough, and the overall slack in the economy uh, hasn't increased, then these inflation pressures will come back early in the next expansion rather than later and force them to start to tighten policy maybe before they would want to. That's what happened in the 1970s. 
that's what Powell and others have said. They want to avoid that from happening. So in their perfect world, we see GDP drop to about 1%, hold above 0% for probably a year or more. Well, if that happens, I don't know that earnings are going to go up by 10% in the next two years, you know, in each of the next two years. So those that to me is the the problem, if, you know, if uh, uh, the economy slows down as I expect, I think that's a problem for the stock market. And if the economy shows more strength than expected, the Fed is just going to have to stay at the job longer until they get the results that they want to see before they're going to have the confidence to cut rates. Uh, to me, it's kind of like a no-win situation. Um, and that's why, as I said, there's a chance you could see one more move to a new high. But that doesn't change the bigger, longer-term outlook that we're on the cusp of a very tough environment as our country struggles with a lot of long-term issues. At the same time, we're in a much more dangerous world than any of us have seen maybe since World War II in terms of what's been happening. And now you've got a lot more countries armed with nuclear weapons. So uh, I just think that people need... uh, to um, take a different approach than just simply buying and holding and hoping for the best. You've, you've given a stark warning here. And as we're wrapping up the GAINS podcast, and you're giving this, this stark warning, and, and we've covered a lot of ground, talked a lot of different areas, what's the takeaway here, Jim? Well, I, the takeaway is for people to find out uh, you know, more about the potential for any of all this stuff and maybe reassess. Again, I just want to say, I'm not a guy who's been negative. I, I, I'm basically a fairly optimistic person. So at the same time, I'm also a realist. So I don't want to give the impression, okay, another doom and gloom or the sky is falling and all the rest of it. No, that's not been my song. But at the same time, I'm seeing enough evidence for me to be concerned about what we're facing over the next five to ten years. And I guess I feel uh, required almost try to at least – increase people's awareness of this potential risk. And um, that's all I'm trying to accomplish with, uh, you know, my investment letter and uh, obviously with interviews uh, with people like you, Andy. And so I really appreciate the, you know, the opportunity and the platform to do this. A stark warning from Jim Welsh. Well, hey, big thanks to Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at macrotides.com in San Diego. All right, and as always, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I've been told that's podcast gold. Totally appreciate the solid there. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We drop Gains episodes on Wednesday mornings, and I look forward to seeing you then. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. will always be worth it. Apply today at penfed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, 
and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.